We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. But he proceeds to, you know, keep keep just pounding on the outside corner, Levon Hernandez. And I'm sure Charles Johnson was like, okay, you know, we're, we're going to set up out here. If you're going to call it, we're going to throw it out here. It's October 97, Braves at Marlins. This is Remember That Game, the podcast about sporting events that take you on a journey and maybe chart the path of the zeitgeist. I'm your host, Thomas Emmerich, and my guest is Brian Wright. You may have seen his gamers on MLB.com and got some pretty great blurbs on your Mets book, including from Tom Verducci. And your Mets were on the sideline for Game 5 of the NLCS here as your NL East mates in the Braves and recently non-existent Marlins duke it out. Were you thinking, hey, go Marlins, take down the Vaughn and 90s Braves? Because this could be us. This could be the Mets someday soon. I think if this was 2023 and I was, you know, the age I am now, having watched the Mets for like 30 years without a championship, uh, seeing a team in their fifth season go for a championship, I, I would be very jaded and, and, and very upset. Um, back in 1997, uh, the Braves, you know, were still were incredibly annoying, always winning, always beating the Mets. I mean, a lot of teams were beating the Mets, except, you know, 97, they got better. But the Marlins were, despite the fact, and we will get into this, despite the fact that they were really trying to buy a World Series, still were, in my mind, very likable, mainly because they were going up against uh, the vaunted Braves team that had won, you know, every division, at least that I had seen in the NL East, uh, save for the strike year of 94. So to me, I mean, the Marlins, I was rooting for the Marlins, you know, up through their World, World Series wins. So it's, but if that happened today, as a sports fan without a baseball championship, um, I would be, I would, I, I would not have the same feeling. Yeah, the team that Blockbuster built, uh, Wayne Huizenga sold at the right time and put together a contender. We get to the National League Championship Series. We're tied 2-2 in Miami. Turner Field in Atlanta slated for the remainder of the series. The Braves have three Hall of Famers ready if this goes seven in Smoltz Glavin. And starting here in Game 5, Greg Maddox. Kenny Lofton leads off with a triple. And then first and third for the heart of the order, maybe the best in baseball, 8-97. Chipper Jones, Fred McGriff, Ryan Klesko. Marlins starting a rookie who lost three straight to end the regular season because their ace fell ill and their number two 
Blues rotator cuff just days earlier. Braves minus 200 coming into the series. Huge favorites. Could I offer you even three to one odds on the fish at this point? It's interesting because, you know, during the regular season, the Marlins kind of handled the Braves. And, um, you know, the, the Marlins were obviously in, in contention for the playoffs. It was pretty much the Braves division uh, most of the way. I don't really remember how close it got. Um, but the Marlins, for as far as I remember down the stretch, it was never that close. I mean, there were a couple teams within a, a few games. So um, the Marlins had, had handled the Braves. But you really – I don't think you would have thought, oh – that's that's you know this will change this will be the same thing in the in the playoffs but they i mean they they acquired they had gary sheffield um they had acquired moises alu who had uh been with the expos um he, they had bobby Bonilla, who had been with the mets but the, before that the pirates and and made uh several postseasons alex fernandez who you mentioned toward the rotator, rotator cuff he was previously with the white Sox. And and Kevin Brown, who had been with the Marlins, but but they he was you know their ace pitcher who fell ill. I don't think he would have said you know I don't think he convinced anyone like oh now the Marlins are going to figure it out. Especially because you know when you get to the playoffs, it's usually the pitching that prevails, and no team had better pitching than the Atlanta Braves in the '90s with Maddox. Uh, Maddox came in and they had John Smoltz, who who was there really from the, the, their their ascension. Uh, Tom Glavin as well. Great starting rotation in the playoffs. And the year before, they made the World Series, they lost the Yankees. The year before that, they win the World Series. So I don't think there was this, this feeling, despite, you know, 91, 92, 93, the Braves had come up short, whether it was in the World Series or the League Championship Series. There was that feeling that, oh, the Marlins are going to get them, especially when Kevin Brown is ill. And, you know, you thought maybe game six they'll pitch him. But, you know, when, the, when you, you see who's matched up, it would be very hard both at the beginning of the series and at this point to think that the, the Marlins are going to take uh, at least two out of the next three. To that point in the 90s, Braves had uh, won four out of five appearances in the NLCS. They lose three out of four World Series, but in two of those, they were underdogs. This would become the most shocking league championship series week of all time if you quantify it in the eyes of the betting market. Both favorites, the Braves at minus 200 odds. And of course, the Orioles at minus 185 go down. Combined minus 385, tops by a mile to that date. Did this feel like a crazier year than normal for underdogs in the championship series at that time? I I think so. I think relatively speaking, it was kind of um, unusual. I think one thing has to be recognized is that this was just the third year that they had expanded the playoffs. I guess fourth year, but 94, no playoffs because of the strike. But it was the third year that the playoffs had been expanded to um, the, the division series and the league championship series. So obviously, if you're going to have more postseason series, you're going to have more opportunities for upset upon upset. Um, so, yes, it was. But I mean, this was like, you know, it, it was unexpected, but it would kind of become more of the norm where, you know, the Marlins, a wild card team that, advances and wins the World Series. Um, you have a few years later, the Angels and Giants meeting in the World Series, both as wild cards in 2002. Um, and, you know, up until now, where you have even more expanded postseason and more opportunities for teams that are relatively speaking inferior, um, getting close to or in the World Series. 
So I think in 97, this was um, um, kind of unexpected. I, you know, hard for me to um, remember uh, the media, you know, griping or, you know, some, you know, people yelling at clouds going, we need to, you know, change the structure of the postseason. I think um, I, I love Bob Costas, but I'm sure he was not in favor of the, I know he did not like the wild card. Um, but, you know, it added excitement and it adds the, you know, ordinary or a fan that may not be interested in the playoffs to be watching for a team like the Marlins to upset the Braves. Um, and I think, you know, it was time to expand the postseason. It was really getting um, too traditional where, you know, you know, your competing sports like the NFL um, had wild card rounds, they had wild card teams um, and they had, you know, I you know it's you know one and done, but you had more teams competing for the championship, more teams in contention for the playoffs. Where going back to 93, which is the last year that you had two divisions in each league, you had the 104 win Atlanta Braves uh, winning the NL West, as silly as that sounds, um, over the 103 win San Francisco Giants, and the San Francisco Giants missed the playoffs. So uh, the Braves, of course, lose to the Phillies the next round, but are in the league championship series. So um, to get back to the point, yeah, it was surprising. Um, at the time, but I think as we look back, um, there was this was going to be what was I don't want to say expected, um, but kind of the unexpected nature of the postseason is is more and more likely as you have a more as you have more teams in the postseason and of course more more postseason series. Is there any comparison to the run the Braves were on uh, in the nineties? There, it's hard to say. I mean, the Braves got their World Series and they got it actually. It's going to sound. And they got it over Cleveland, who had more wins. I mean, that Cleveland team in '95, they were they won 100 games in a 144 game schedule. So that I think so they had the best record in baseball. So it was kind of ironic that the Braves championship came um, when they were they had the lesser amount of wins. Um, so they got their championship. But in terms of that run from like '91 through let's say oh. Three or oh four, I can't remember when they're there. I guess their run ended by the they have to run in with the Mets winning the division of six. But that fifteen year run, the only comparison, two comparisons I had thinking in 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 sports, uh, were the Packers with Aaron Rodgers, where they got a championship with Super Bowl 30, 30, 45 or whatever it was against the Steelers. But, you know, they had their times in which they were one seed, your Giants knocked them off. They had um, they had other chances, you know, NFC championships. They got to the game in Seattle that they blew in 2014. So they had their, their moments to get back to the Super Bowl, to win the Super Bowl. They never really did, but they were always there. Um, and the other comparison, and I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it, it is one championship, um, was, and it's still going, is, is Calipari's Kentucky, Kentucky men's basketball teams. Um, they won with Anthony Davis in 2012, I think it was, but they had like a, the perfect, they had a perfect season up until I think Wisconsin knocked them off in 2015. Um, they've been there often and they have a, obviously the t- turnover of players is a, is a variable here. Um, but that, that's the, those are the two closest comparisons I can make to what the Braves did in that, you know, 90s and 2000 stretch. Frank Kaminsky, uh, Bobby Bonilla in this case, big uh, seventh inning RBI in what would be a two to one game. Yeah, at, the, at that time, Bobby Bonilla was not a such a um, at such a distinct figure in Mets history because he would come to the Mets 
two years later, um, he was on the playoff team in 99, wound up playing cards with Ricky Henderson in the middle, in the middle of game six in the clubhouse, uh, as the Mets are, you know, in this back and forth game with the Braves, uh, that they get eliminated. Um, and then the next year he gets released. And that is what kickstarts the Bobby Bonilla day, as everyone notes, um, with the deferred contract. So the first stint with the Mets, which was from 92 through 95, that was, he was just more disgruntled. He wore earplugs because he got booed too much. Uh, didn't want to hear him. He got into a run in with reporters. Um, he made all-star teams. I mean, I mean, relatively speaking, the Mets were bad, um, but he made the all-star team in what, 93 and 95, I believe. So I need two all-star teams. Wasn't as horrible as, as, as people might think. Um, I wouldn't, you know, to call him a bus is, is, I wouldn't say he was, he, was, he wasn't the biggest bust in Mets history. Um, and in fact, I think the deferred contract is, is overblown um, because there are so many. But um, at that time in 97, I don't think we were like, oh my gosh, Bob Bonilla, look, he's doing this with another team. It wasn't like, it wasn't, I mean, this is, a, this is not a good comparison, but like, as we're talking now, Phillies, the Phillies are trying to make the World Series. Zach Wheeler, who used to pitch for the Mets, is now a terrific pitcher with the with the with the Phillies. That is that's more painful than than Bobby Bonilla, to be honest with you. Maybe it's just, again, maybe it's just the jaded nature. Thirty, you know, twenty five years down the line, um, I just like, oh, can someone win a World Series for us? But um, so yeah, Bobby Bonilla in ninety seven to me was not like I can't believe he's doing this for the Marlins. I also think his attitude was a lot better. Uh, Jim Leland was his old manager in Pittsburgh. And I feel like Jim Leland probably found something in him that, you know, made him improved his mood in addition to the fact that they were just a winning team. So, um, yeah, I mean, I liked Bavania when he put the best because I was a kid and I didn't know any better. Um, so at that time it was not like, uh, it was, you were, it was not cringeworthy to see him doing that and, and making an impact on the team. Late 90s, Y2K. A lot of the games I do are around Y2K, a fascinating time. The Bonilla contract is in part a result of like Mets ownership getting tied up with Madoff. Um, so it's it was done before that. Um, so they, they basically, it was basically, Bobby's agent was just, just terrific in terms of that savvy to base to, to create a, a, a deferred contract um, when he was released from the team in, in 2000. Um, I think because of Madoff, it just really, it, um, I guess it, it really got exasperated in the sense of like, Oh, they not only are the Mets are losing money, but they're still owing this guy who has been retired. They're still owing him, you know, $1.3 million every year. And in 2015, when the Mets were, uh, had this young pitching staff. Every, I think every young pitcher on their, every young starting pitcher was making less than Bobby Bonilla was um, annually. <laughs> so I, 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 not, I may not be correct in that, but that's like, that's where it gets um, really um, amplified. Uh, and again, just the fact that it's the Mets. But you have guys like Chris Davis with the Orioles, who after he had like a 50 plus home run season, signs his deferred contract and is a complete disaster. And the Orioles are paying him, you know, John Angelos, who's a dreadful owner, paying him until 2036. I'm, I'm making this, you know, I'm guessing on this. And you had like Bruce Suter. Oh, wow. Yeah. And you have Bruce. Longer than Bonilla. Well, I think they, well, it started later. So, um, 
Vanilla <laughs> started Vanilla started in like 2000, and then it just became, and now it's going until. Yeah, Bonilla's going to 2035, right? It would just be like one year longer yeah, it's than not Bonilla. As, it's not as long, but it's it's definitely a credit to Bonilla's agent. I forget his uh, Gilbert, I believe is his last name, um, who just forced, who had this foresight to just be like, um, let's just spread this money out. And the Mets owners are just really, you know, they're just, they were cheap, but the, the Wilpons were, were terrible and yeah. cheap, so. Yeah, they're they're cheap, and weren't they like Madoff is going to bring us in all this money down the road? So let's defer it, and then we'll make more with our Madoff money. Yeah, and I mean the the owner Fred Wilpon had a relationship with with Bernie with the Madoff, um, you know, connections with Bernie Madoff in a sense, and you know that was you know a, a, a definitely a, a relationship gone bad, very bad, very bad. The Marlins, on the other hand, you know, Wayne Huizenga, renter roster, made his bones with Blockbuster Video, ends up selling the team and uh, sending off all the players the year after. But Alex Fernandez blowing his uh, arrow tater cuff in game two, like they're, they're still not sure when Kevin Brown's coming back. But Levon Hernandez, a rookie who defected from Cuba, it breaks the NLCS record of 15 strikeouts. Here's a call from Bob Costas that gets me amped up. Can you imagine, and this is assuming a lot, but can you imagine if Hernandez beats Maddox today and the Marlins go to Atlanta with Kevin Brown rested and recovered from the intestinal virus and ready to pitch game six with a 3-2 lead? Strike three, his 11th. And the twist, their best hitters were left-handed, and Eric Gregg had a pretty uh, expansive strike zone for uh, left-handed batters. Yeah, I mean, I think that it was normal for strike zones to be a little bit more generous uh, for left-handed hitters uh, against left-handed hitters as opposed to right-handed hitters. And Greg had an especially uh, uh, generous strike zone. Um, if you you can watch the game on on YouTube uh, and you can see the pregame um, conversation between Costas, Bob Costas, Bob Euchre, and Joe Morgan. And Costas, I don't know how direct he was with this question. But asked Joe Morgan about Greg's strike zone, and Morgan definitely pointed out that he was a pitcher favored, uh, was favorable to pitchers uh, with his zone, Um, and that was really um, emphasized in this uh, in this game. And you know, I have read, you know, you you read a lot of things about this, like oh, Eric Greg was you know favoring the Marlins. Um, A couple things, a lot of things should be noted about this um, strike zone. There was a reputation for the Braves to get a big, a wide strike zone. I'm not saying this wide, but a wide strike zone because they had pitchers like Greg Maddox, Tom Glavin, who utilized uh, the strike zone to their advantage. They would pinpoint pitches on either side of the plate um, and would kind of expand the zone in the baseball vernacular um, and get pitches that another pitcher might not normally get. and you could say like, oh, the Braves had this kind of thing coming, but um, but but what should also be known is that it was a pretty. If you watch the game, it was fair in the sense that it never changed, and the zone, I should say, and you know, would be more controversial is if Eric Gregg was calling pitches that were outside, and then was not calling something that was right on the corner. And when he was just, his, you know, his zone varied. And, uh, it, you know, another thing that is 
um, worth mentioning is that, you know, the, the, the announcers were saying throughout, I don't know if it was, I think it was Euchre, who was like, okay, you know, this is like maybe the third inning. Like, okay, now the batters know what to expect. So swing. And now some of these pitches, <laughs> some of these pitches you need like a tree trunk to hit the ball. Um, <laughs> Fred McGriff, the last, the last pitch to Fred McGriff is, I mean, I'm sorry. I'm, as a guy who doesn't like the Braves, I laugh when I see that pitch because it's hilarious. It, it would have hit a right-handed hitter. Um, but it, it could also be said that, that, you know, it was, it always stayed the same. And if you go back to the first inning, it was really established there. And another point I wanted to make um, was that LeVon Hernandez and his catcher, Charles Johnson, really exploited this um, to their great credit. Uh, because after, in the first inning, you mentioned the leadoff triple by Kenny Lofton. There was a walk to Keith Lockhart. Then it, then it was Chipper Jones, Fred McGriff, and Ryan Klesko, three lefties coming up. That's when LeVon Hernandez started to really live on the outside part. Um, I mean, outside part. Uh, like he he strikes out Chipper Jones. He he throws two strikes looking on the outside. That's when the broadcast immediately notes this. They're like they're showing like you know, Euchre and Costas are commenting on it. The replay is showing like oh my gosh look where that pitch is. Then he you know the next pitch Levon Hernandez throws it outside fouled away. The one two pitch. The one it was only he threw a one two pitch to Chipper Jones outside should have been a strike based on Greg's zone. It wasn't called a strike. That was like the one time it was like wait a minute. And then he gets him on a strike three in the outside corner. But he proceeds to, you know, keep keep just pounding on the outside corner, LeVon Hernandez. And I'm sure Charles Johnson was like, okay, you know, we're, we're going to set up out here. If you're going to call it, we're going to throw it out here. And, you know, whether it was fastball or curveball, he had a really, really sharp break on his curveball. Um, they were, it was, he was using it. It was working. And he got McGriff to strike out. He then got Klesko to strike out. Um, and during that, that through those three strikeouts, I think Costa said something to the effect of if, if Greg is going to give LeVon Hernandez those pitches, Greg Maddox is going to be smiling, noting what Greg Maddox um, did, what his reputation was in terms of um, terms of manipulating the strike zone. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. 
Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. In the NBC graphic, when uh, Greg Maddox came out to the mound, bottom of the first, it said, uh, great control works the corners. You know, he loses this one two to one, four hitter. In game one, he gives up five runs, zero earned in a loss. Uh, you, you gave a pretty fun NFL comparison. Yeah, I I think uh, that Greg Maddox is kind of like that year as Peyton Manning, where great regular season, very professor like, um, you know, reputation. Um, which he was, you know, Peyton Manning at quarterback and Maddox on the mound. Um, Maddox was not overpowering. Um, Peyton Manning, when you look at him physically, I mean, would you, do you think he's going to just like, you know, throw 48 touchdowns in a season and throw for, you know, have for many yards he threw for? No. Um, so, and, and the postseason is like, well, I could there could have been more. I mean, of course, Peyton had, had two rings and whatever you want to think about his last one and how much he had to do with it. Um, but Maddox, you know, won the championship with the Braves in 95. Um, overall was like fine in the postseason. I think it gets kind of misconstrued because even in 97 and in the late 90s and early 2000s, we were looking at a pitcher's record in the postseason wins and losses. And yeah, they were out there for longer, but we were, we were valuing wins and valuing wins and losses, you know, as like the weight of gold. And when in fact we should have just been looking at like maybe their ERA or or others that that have more value. So so Maddox in the postseason I think his ERA is like three point one, which by his standards, um, but it wasn't as bad as 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 maybe seemed and in was seemed at that time. Put their teams in a position to win more in the postseason than than they ended up doing. Manning gets them in range against the Steelers to send it to OT, and then the, the liquored-up kicker comes out and slices it. Punishing series here on the other side of the bracket in 97, uh, Mike Mussina with the O's. And Mussina gave up, like, nothing, and, and still Cleveland advances. But you put t- together some graphics for social on, on those, right? You want you to plug your, your graphic uh, accounts? Not, not graphic content, graphic as in design. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know. Well, it depends on if you're a fan of this team. And you're if you're just a like, Rangers fan, yes. This. Um, yeah. So no, I, I have a um, baseball history uh, TikTok and Instagram account. Both are called Retro MLB. The Instagram account has the underscore in between Retro and MLB because of you know someone else took it. Um, but yeah, so I have so I did a series of videos on the five teams at the at this in this postseason that were. Um, without a World Series ring for at least the last 30 years. So Blue Jays, Orioles, 
Rangers, uh, Twins, and um, Brewers, if I have, haven't repeated them. Um, so yeah, so those five, um, I did profiles of, of them. But yeah, the videos are what I was, uh, are kind of what you're, what you're getting at. Um, and the Rangers have just been um, the kind of the one that, like I said, I think I said in the video, was that they got as closest to winning a World Series as you could possibly get without winning it. Maybe the 86 Red Sox have a case uh, um, for that too, but um, it's, it's been a while for um, the Rangers going back to being in Washington in 1961. Um, and it's, it's interesting looking at it now, Cleveland, we're talking, we talked about Cleveland, um, and their, um, inability to win at all. It's been since 1948, they're the longest drought. Um, and I think in like 97, definitely in the world series, Bob Costas notes this and he notes this, especially as they get to game seven, they're one, they're three outs away from winning the world series. Um, and he, you know, Bob Costas loves to give a history lesson. I love Bob. And he talks about all the players in 1948 and every, you know, he, he could have recited every player that's played since. Um, and he was like setting it up for oh, Cleveland. Here they go. They're going to win their world championship. Maybe there were some people around in 1920. And I'm like, I, I don't, like, I don't know if there were, but <laughs> yeah, me as a 10 year old Marlins fan, I didn't care. I was like, I never heard of those guys. I want the Marlins to win. But now looking back, I'm like, oh, that's that's tough. That's tough for folks in Cleveland. And and now, and especially in 2016, um, with the Cubs, and relatively speaking, they were just, they were waiting a fraction of of the time compared to the Cubs. And now that we've gotten like the Red Sox, the White Sox, the Cubs, um, I may be missing another team that, that had a long drought. I mean, Houston had to wait until their from 62 up until 2017. Now we're getting it to where Cleveland, it's Cleveland, it's the Rangers, it's the Brewers. And then I think the Padres and the Orioles might be the next. So it's like, it, it, it really hits you as far as like, when you think about the Orioles and you're like, oh, it hasn't been that long. And you're like, oh, they're like the fifth longest drought. Um, you think about Cleveland, they're the longest drought. Um, so it's, I think it took not only it's time, but it's also just the fact that all these, Snake bitten, I guess, so to speak, or just these long drought teams uh, won World Series in the last uh, twenty years. Yeah, none of these teams got to have a, a champ, uh, you know, a, a post championship opening day like the Marlins did in Ken Griffey Baseball '64. Came out with the the nineteen ninety eight rosters. So Alex Fernandez is is the ace pitcher for the defending champ Marlins on Griffey '64. What was your favorite uh, baseball game from? back in those days uh so i had ken griffey junior baseball back in um, when it was on the super nintendo um which was like so the one you mentioned is the 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 like su- successor um but i had ken griffey junior baseball on super nintendo it was like the first real video game i ever had it was based on the 93 season and as a mets fan i tried to play with the mets and they were terrible I mean, the Mets, the 93 Mets were terrible. So I guess it was a realistic game. Um, but what I remember is they based the names. They didn't have player names. They would base the names off of like the city and specific things that might have represented the city. So for instance, like if you were a Philly, if you are the Phillies, like they had a guy like, they had like a player like Liberty Bell. Ken Griffey Jr. was the only player who had the rights. You could have, you could play with Ken Griffey Jr. John Cruck was Liberty Bell, or or, or was that Darren Dalton, f- future Marlin? Who who was Liberty Bell? Do you think? Oh, I I didn't even know if there was a Liberty Bell. I could look this up uh, and see if like who represented what player. I'm sure there's something. There's someone who did a deep dive into this game 
and was like, oh, that player is so-and-so. Because the physical attributes are pretty, I would I want to say, realistic. Um, but I'm sure, like, there was some parallel. Yeah, that's how they skirt around the rights. John Doe is Barry Bonds or whatever yeah. they, they had for him for a while when they couldn't get the <laughs> the rights for him. So yeah, Marlins, the defending champs in a, you know, call, call, call me junior baseball for 64. Or they beat Cleveland in seven games in the World Series. Kevin Brown pitching game seven against Cleveland and winning game six against the Braves in the previous series to close that out. The following year, Brown was with the the Padres, right? When they knocked off the Braves as minus 400. Some really crazy championship series, though this one in 97, none of the ones previously, you know, dating back to 69 when they started doing it, had as big of a combined favor odds uh, that both went down in, in a season. You got minus 385 in 1997. There were six other years where both favorites went down it involves the Mets uh, being a big favorite and going down. 1988. So the the Mets had another one where the AL side also lost as a favorite. Uh, uh, and the Mets, the Mets lost as big favorites. We're talking about 2006? Yep. Yeah, that's, so that's they, fun. <laughs> so they, they ranked number three. Mets minus 190 and A's minus 115 and 06. Mm. Adds up to minus 305. The only ones above minus 300 all time were that one. And then here, Braves and O's combined minus 385. And then the top one of, of all time, minus 410, involves a couple teams that are finishing out the AL and NLCS right now. Big, uh, what is the biggest upset year of all time in, in the League Championship so, Series? So, so with that hint, uh, you're, you're referring to 2010 yep. in the Phillies uh beat or the Giants beat the Phillies. Uh Phillies were big favorites. And then um Rangers over the Yankees, which is interesting because I feel like the Rangers had home field. So um that's you know it's probably Yankee bias there. But I know that the Phillies were big favorites against the Giants. That twenty ten Phillies team takes the cake there. Minus two forty favorites. Uh Yankees were were minus one seventy against the Rangers. How how does this twenty twenty three postseason compare uh, as far as shock for you to 97 and, and any other mentioned in the past? Yeah. I mean, I think now we've kind of become um, a little more conformed to the, the team that gets hot usually wins. Um, and so I think that even dating back to when we had the one game wild card playoff, you remember the, the giants in uh, uh, 2014 um, for their third championship, they, they, went they began and in the wild card game and then went on to win the world series their third like i said third in, in six years so you have these instances in which teams go from kind of i mean so to speak barely making it to going to the world series so this what's happening here um i guess is particularly unusual just in terms of, of history and in terms of specifically teams just getting swept when you see like the orioles get swept and the dodgers get swept 200 plus win teams the braves go down again to the phillies but i feel like the phillies are more built for the playoffs um as opposed to well i wouldn't say as opposed to the braves they have won the world series recently i would like to maybe see there be a different change in like from the wild card series to um the division series in terms of games and time off and so but that's a whole other story um but this is not 
I'm not like crying for like the whole postseason to get revamped or this is some kind of crime and we should now go back to just whoever wins the league. It should be like 1953 and that those two teams should meet in the World Series. That's the way it should be um, because we've had times. I mean, we had uh, 1987. Um, the, the Twins had won 85 games. They had the least amount of wins of the four postseason teams. They win the World Series and over the Cardinals. Um, I wasn't, you know, I was a few months old, but I don't remember there was any cry of like, oh, we need to change this whole postseason. Um, so I think going in, you kind of have the feeling of this, this for this postseason that it, again, it goes, it's the team that gets hot. And that's what makes it interesting. It may not make it traditionally well where the best team wins, but that's, you know, that doesn't happen in just about, that doesn't happen in every sport. It doesn't happen in football, really. Um, and I think teams, if they really, you know, I think teams will learn from things like this. Um, and I don't, but I don't look at it as like some kind of crime against the tradition of baseball. Um, it's it, there, these teams are that are, that are winning, um, you know, maybe getting squeaking in, so to speak, um, are finding the right, you know, they're, they're playing to the, uh, parameters of the postseason and they're succeeding. It could produce some fun things like getting us a, a World Series for a team that has Gary Sheffield, Bobby Bonilla, Moises Alou, uh, Charles Johnson uh, throwing out Kenny Lofton at second base in a Game 5 of an NLCS. W- without the wild card, Marlins wouldn't even be here. Do you think already it returned dividends by year three just giving us this fun of a Marlins team in the postseason? Yeah, and I mean, I think uh, it it generates um, interest if, if you know for it generates fan interest maybe from someone like you who may not normally be that interested in baseball, and it like sticks with people um, and it creates these kind of specific memories uh, of. Do you remember when the Marlins they upset the Braves and then they go on to win it all? It's like um, I think you know if you were back in you know 1993, it would have been uh, Marlins and. Giants or something like that. I don't know who had the second most wins in the National League then. Uh, maybe it was like maybe it was the Astros. I don't remember. But um, so and you wouldn't have had all these kind of postseason scenarios or postseason moments. Um, the regular season might mean a little bit more, um, but also you wouldn't have as many teams competing for the postseason. You have more teams just kind of playing out the string, so to speak, um, at the end of the year. So uh, it'll, uh, as much as this allows for variance and, and teams that maybe don't have as many wins, um, it does allow for um, for more memories and, again, more fan bases to get in, into um, at least the end of the season in October. This has been another episode of Remember That Game. Please rate, review, subscribe, and check out more episodes.